Shame can be defined as a feeling of embarrassment or humiliation that arises uh, out of the perception of having done something dishonorable or immoral or improper. You know, you mispronounce a word in class and your friends laugh at you. You accidentally tip the ball into your own goal in a basketball game and your team groans. Uh, you know, you, you trip and you fall and people point and laugh. Or you, you try out a new haircut in seventh grade and the second your friends see you, they burst out laughing. I mean, these things bring about shame. And these are all true stories that I have experienced uh, myself. I, I tried a new haircut where I parted it down the middle with a lot of hair gel. My hair is very uh, fluffy. I don't know if that's a word, fluffy. Uh, and uh, they made fun of me relentlessly that day. I thought I looked awesome. Uh, but I think I looked more like one of the little rascals. Uh, you guys know what I'm talking about? That's what I think I look like. But shame, man, uh, it, it's, it really is something that's easily worked through if you're surrounded by people who love you. You do something embarrassing. If you're around people who love you as you are, who care about you, you know, dealing with shame is not that big of a deal. But, but what happens when shame is weaponized? What happens when shame is, is used to to hurt people, to exclude people? What happens when shame is used against those who do not conform to what is culturally acceptable? When people are, are shamed and then excluded, you know, the, the common word today is canceled for saying something dishonorable, immoral, or improper according to the current cultural norms. In this landscape where Moral standards are constantly changing. We can often find ourselves insecure, anxious, and therefore silent because we won't, don't want to say anything that rubs somebody the wrong way and then find ourselves on the outside looking in. And here's the rub. It's the culture we live in. Shame is often used to, to, to ridicule, to, to exclude and then sometimes people do say dumb things. And sometimes people are offensive. But it's a culture we live in. And as I said, here, here's the rub. There are things that we proclaim and believe as Christians that the culture sees as unpopular and deserving of ridicule and, and shame. We hold to truths that seem archaic, improper, barbaric to the sophisticated modern mind. And the fear of shame and exclusion has led many leaders to shy away from these foundational truths or just dismiss them altogether. I want to argue something. I want to argue that if something is true and good, it's worth standing on, even though it may cost us things like popularity and inclusion in the greater cultural landscape. Paul argues as much in Romans 1. This is the passage that we're going to build our year on. And I encourage you to go grab one of the blue Bibles if you don't have a Bible for you. Get your phones. We're going to be in Romans 1. Turn to Romans 1. Verse 16, it's a very popular verse. Romans, if you've never read it, is 
mind-bendingly rich and theologically deep. It's a good book. It's a challenging book. But Paul, at the beginning of this theologically rich letter, has just expressed his desire to preach the gospel to those who are in Rome. Paul's ministry has been growing. He writes to Rome, which was the center of the known universe at that point. And he's saying, hey man, I can't wait to come and preach the gospel among you who are in Rome. And then he says this in verse 1, 16, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We're going to break this down today for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Man, if you don't have eyes to see the beauty of the gospel, there is much in it that seems off-putting or offensive to the modern mind. For many, the gospel is complete and utter foolishness. That's the passage that Peyton read that Paul was trying to say, you know, in, in man's mind, it's, it's crazy how the gospel plays out and no modern Greek and no person would really want anything to do with it because at, at face value, without having your eyes open to the spiritual beauty of the gospel, it, it's kind of offensive. It's kind of brutal. It's kind of it's kind of bloody when we look at the gospel. Guys, I try not to be offensive about a lot of things. Like if you go on my Facebook, you're not going to see me going off on political rants and, and uh, you know, entering into conversations where people are on both sides, just being offensive to each other. Because what I build my life upon is offensive enough. It's offensive enough. The gospel is just offensive to to our culture. One commentator pointed out a number of gospel truths that some people find just downright shameful and foolish. There is one triune God. Not many gods are an impersonal consciousness at the heart of the universe. There's one God. He is one, in essence, three impersons. Do we fully understand that? No. Do we hold to it? Yes. This triune God created the world. Our universe didn't always exist. Our God created it ex nihilo, out of nothing. He spoke it in, into being. The single most important weekend in the history of the world is that of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. We celebrate that our Savior was put to death. That just seems crazy to most of them. In fact, we come together every weekend to celebrate the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. But nonetheless, we, we celebrate the fact that he has taken our sin. I mean, even think about the concept of sin. That's offensive to a lot of people. Most people wake up in the morning and say, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. And the Bible says, no, you're not. In fact, we're all wicked. We've all fallen short. There's no one who is, who is righteous. That's offensive to say to people. I mean, walk into your workplace and go, hey, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. Just see how that goes for you. He called, how dare he? I'm a good person. I'm not saying you do everything terrible and you're the, the worst you can be, but, but sin has touched everything. We talked about that a little over a week ago. 
Jesus is the Lord over all things. That's offensive. Jesus, I, I'm the Lord of my life. I'm the Lord of my domain. Jesus doesn't have dominion here. Jesus is the only way to salvation. There are not many ways. That is, you know, people with the coexist bumper sticker do not like those sort of statements. Jesus is the only way to salvation. At the return of Jesus, every knee will bow and confess that he is Lord. Every Jew, Muslim, Hindu, atheist, Scientologist, a Baptist, etc. The final judgment will be where Jesus separates those who are in him and those who are not. One group will perish. The other group will have a glorious inheritance. I mean, are you guys kind of getting the offensiveness of the gospel? I mean, most people will say, how can you believe that? How can you believe those things? People said it now. Guys, Paul spoke to a very similar culture then. How could Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And we'll talk about why here in a second, but just, let's just sit on that for a second. I am not ashamed of the gospel. And in 2022, I commit to not being ashamed of the gospel. I will not shy away, dismiss, or attempt to lessen the blow of any part of the gospel. I will preach it holistically. I'll preach the parts that are offensive and the parts that are easier to swallow. I mean, we all love talking about abundant life and God's purpose for us, but I'm also gonna talk about the reality of sin and being dead in our transgressions and the need for a savior. I'm gonna talk about the kingdom teachings of Jesus, you know, love one another, forgive one another, show mercy. I mean, we, we, we like talking about those things but I'll also talk about the cross, the atoning work of Jesus and how he purchased forgiveness of sins for us. I will not be ashamed of the gospel and I will stand upon these truths no matter the consequences. When Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he knows more than anyone what it might cost you. Paul says this, he says, I was whipped and beaten and chained. I've been left for dead just for preaching the gospel. Now, we don't face such situations today when, when we preach the gospel, but, but there is a reality of, of fearing shame and, and exclusion. You know, We don't preach the gospel in face of such threats today in the West, but the possibility of being shamed, excluded, and ridiculed is still very powerful and has moved many away from gospel proclamation. And it starts off when you're young. When you're, when you're five years old, man, and, and, you, and I really do think there are kids at five years old who understand the gospel. The gospel's just on the tip of your tongue. Do you know Jesus saved us? Like five, six, seven, eight-year-olds, they don't have shame. They don't have shame in sharing the gospel. New believers don't have shame in sharing the gospel because they've just been saved. But what happens over time is we start to, to live in this world where people may treat us differently and, and ridicule us. We may not get a promotion if we talk about our faith. Uh, we may be in high school, man. There's a ton of pressure to conform to the mass or, or, or be excluded from friendship and fellowship. So something happens as we get older where we start being like, man, I'm, 
I, I love the gospel. I love what it's done in my life, but, but I'm not about to talk about it here in this environment. So we get older and older and older. I, I remember asking one student, have you ever shared the gospel with somebody? No, no, not really. I don't know any non-Christians anymore. And you kind of put yourself in a little bit of a little bit of bubble because shame has kind of moved you away from the cultural context that you've been placed in by God to preach the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And I'm going to tell you why. It has, it has the power to do what nothing else can. Look at Romans 1 again. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. I want to make a clear distinction here. The gospel isn't just about the power of God. It contains the power of God. Do you notice the distinction there? It doesn't just tell us things about God. It is the means through which God uses to save people. One commentator put it like this, the preaching of the word does not merely make salvation possible, but also affects salvation in those who are called. When we preach, we don't preach mere words. We preach words imbued with power that God uses to change and transform lives. It is the power of God for salvation. Now this term salvation is very rich in meaning. Paul uses it in a bunch of different ways. He commonly uses it to refer to the deliverance from judgment and wrath on that last day. You know, I'll be saved when I die. Like that's what we tend to think about in, in modern culture. But if we look at Romans 8, Ephesians 2, Philippians 2, we see that there are numerous dimensions to salvation. And, and here's what I mean. And, and some of you have heard me talk about this before. So bear with me, but it's good to revisit. We have been saved from sin's penalty. We are being saved from sin's power. And one day, we will be saved from sin's presence. So let's just unpack that for a second. We have been saved from sin's penalty. The wages of sin is death. The penalty of sin is death. And that is a spiritual death. We are dead to God. But Jesus Christ has made us alive through uh, his death and resurrection. He took our punishment. He took our penalty. He lived the life we couldn't. He died the death that we deserved and he rose to life so that when we put our faith in him, God doesn't look at us anymore and say, there is a sinner who needs punishment. He looks at us and says, there is my child my son, my daughter, who is in Christ. We, we put our faith in Jesus. We have been saved from sin's penalty. We are being saved right now, day by day, from sin's power. Jesus broke the curse of sin and death before we were slaves to sin. That's how scripture talks about it. We couldn't help but, but sin, and we still do. But even our good acts in my, in my previous life, even the good things 
I did were, were, were really done to kind of glorify myself or get some, some praise and attention. So even those, those good acts were just were tainted by sin a, a little bit. But now we've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are servants of Christ. We are slaves to him. We have the ability now to choose righteousness. Will you mess up? Yeah, you will. But you don't have to anymore. And the idea is, is we are working out our salvation. That's what Philippians 2 talks about. So day by day, month by month, year by year, decade by decade, we're going to hopefully grow in our obedience, grow in Christ-likeness. We've been saved from sin's penalty. We're being saved from sin's power. And we one day will be saved from sin's presence. There will be a day when we're face to face with God. And he frees us from from sin and its consequences fully. We'll be glorified, we'll receive new bodies, and we'll live with him forever where sin will not be present. Sin will not be present in his presence in the new heavens and new earths. So sin and all that it brings, disease, sickness, cancer, dementia, all of those things that sin brings, death, we will no longer experience self-doubt, anxiety, depression, mental health issues you will not deal with anymore. Guys, there's, there's, there's a lot of saving going on here. The power of the gospel is what saves us from sin's penalty, sin's power, and one day sin's presence. There, there's nothing else that can save us in this way. No man-made religion. No philosophy. Oprah cannot help you. No life coach out there is going to save you from sin. It is through Christ alone, our Savior. The gospel means good news for a good reason because there's a lot of saving going on. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation Nothing else has the power to save us this way. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that the gospel alone is still powerful enough to save people? Now I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant here. I feel like the church today has lost a sense of the gospel's power to draw people, to compel people, and to transform people. So we feel, in in the modern church, a need to dress it up. Put some bells and whistles on it. You know what we really need as a church? If we really want to see people's lives transformed, we we need some lights, like a good lighting system up here on the stage. We need a, you know, I'm going to say it, we need a smoke machine. We need, a, and I, don't get me started on that. We, we, we need, that's really going to allow people's hearts to open up to, to the gospel. If we have, if we have this ambiance of a, of a rave for some reason, uh, God, the gospel will really connect with people. Then and only then will the gospel connect with, with people. We need a band that is loud. We need a ton of people on stage playing their instruments, 
way. We want to beat your eardrums into submission. Listen to this message. We need amenities. We need like a, a killer, you know, coffee station with all different kinds of flavors and somebody there to, to hand and just, you know, we, we, need, we need to give away free stuff. We need to give away free, if we give, oh man, do, how much do we need another coffee mug, man, from a church that we, oh, we, we, if we give away free stuff, then their heart will be softened and the gospel will be opened up and they'll put their faith and trust in, in Jesus. Now, I know God has worked through some of those things. Guys, we've given away free stuff. We served coffee last weekend. I'm, I'm not trying to be a hypocrite here. I'm not trying to be a grump that thinks every church is doing it wrong and we're going to do it right in 2022. But there is, I know for a fact, there is a culture that says if we don't have those things, we really won't be effective in reaching anyone because the gospel is just kind of tough to swallow. It has rough edges. It's hard to digest. It's difficult to understand in today's culture. Implied in that statement is the gospel alone, it just isn't enough anymore. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. We are going to lean into that this year. I commit to not getting lost and trying to dress up the gospel. We, we want to do things well. And you'll be like, well, then you need to stop singing, Pastor Skimbury. We want to do things well. We want, to, we want to be undistracting in the way we do things. But there's not going to be major bells and whistles at Central Bible Church in, in 2022. We're going to keep it simple. And we're going to preach the gospel. There's not going to be a Sunday morning light show. No killer 10-person bands turned up to 11. No giant coffee bar. There may be some coffee from time to time, but we're not going to have any of those special flavors. That's too much. That's too flashy. That's a joke. No good-looking pastor with a $300 haircut. Just a big, bald guy wearing a bunch of clothes from Kohl's in an elementary school cafeteria preaching from God's word, things like repentance, faith, and hope in Christ Jesus, our Savior, because we believe that the gospel alone is still powerful enough to save people. If that doesn't get you somewhat excited, I don't know what will. And you may be like, well, but I, I like the light show. I like, I like being entertained and I, I like the really good looking worship leader. And, uh, we, you know, I like the, th th this church, it just may not be for you then. Have you ever noticed when people leave a church for the first time and they're really excited, what do they say they love about that church? Oh man, the mu music was awesome. Coffee was good. The kids program had a slide inside the yeah, slide what it was a water slide inside the church it was nuts you know they, they had yeah, escalators it was an amazing place to be I'm, I'm more concerned is the gospel being preached 
Is God's word being being preached? Is salvation being preached? Is our need for him being preached? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel of salvation is for anyone and everyone who believes. This is more than just a, yeah, I agree that Jesus died for my sins. It's more than just an intellectual assent. Do you believe that Jesus died? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I believe that. It's a reliance and trust in those things. You ever drone over, driven over a really tall bridge, one of those mixed masters in like a, like a very uh, a city area? And it's like, you, you, you know, there's a difference between thinking to yourself, I believe that bridge will hold me, and then driving your car over the bridge. You can believe that the bridge will hold you, but you need to have, put your faith and trust in that bridge by driving over it. That's what it means to put our faith and trust in Jesus. It's to build our lives on the reality of who he is and what he has done for us, to the Jew first and also to the Greek and the Gentile, which just means us, any non-Jew. One commentator noted the priority of the Jews here reflects a historical reality. Who did God choose in the Old Testament? Israel, the Jewish people to work through. But even then, they were intended to be a light. And through them, the Savior of the world would come and bless what? All nations. I will not be ashamed of the only news that has the power to save people. I may be labeled foolish, stuck in the past, narrow-minded. I may lose respect of loved ones, of friends, of coworkers. But if it's true and good and powerful and capable of saving people, it's worth standing on no matter the consequences. Don't, Don't be ashamed, church. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Share it regularly. Share your testimony, how God has worked in your life. Be ready to give an account for the hope you have. Be ready to invite people into environments where the gospel is shared. Don't be ashamed. Don't worry about what people will think about about you. I can't invite those people to church. They may not like church. Or, oh, they're, they're just not church-going people. Uh, you know, they, they're, they're really not going to like when you talk about Jesus, Larry, uh, being the way, the truth, and the life. They're just going to be really... Man, do you believe that the gospel can save people? Do you believe the gospel can save people? It's not a rhetorical question. Answer yes or no. Yes. Do you believe... Yeah. Then let the gospel do its work. Let the gospel unshackle it. Let it work. Well, if, if I share my faith... If I share that, you know, Jesus is real to me and that I really believe these things and I'm a Christian or however you want to, Christ follower, however you want to put it, uh, you know, people may think I'm weird or, or, and I may get excluded. Well, guess what? You are weird. You are weird. Everyone's weird. That's the reality. Hang out with anybody long enough and you'll be like, what? They're weird. You ever had a roommate before you got married? Hey, this person seems nice and normal. Then you get to know them and you're like, they are weird. You are weird. That's okay. So is everyone else. The difference between you and them is you have the life-giving, shackle-breaking, fruit-producing, death-destroying gospel living in you. You have been saved. 
Do not withhold the only thing that can save them, that can speak to their hearts, to their longing, that can address their penalty, the power of sin in their life, that can give them hope for the future. Whatever consequences may come for being proud of the gospel that has saved you will be worth it if God uses you to save others. Don't be ashamed of the only thing that has the power to save. Let's pray.